Turn to John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. John 10, 14 and 15. You know, it's very rare in life to have a person who will provide for you, help you, and have your back. Very rare. Unless you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not rare. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. You know, when the Bible describes us, it so often describes us in, in terms that uh, extol the, the glory of God and the glory of, of God in us. We are made in the image of God. You know, that is why people are so creative, because God is a creator. That is why people are intelligent, because God is intelligent. That is why God, people can make moral choices, because our God is a personal being who is a moral being and, and the kind of the fountain and foundation of all of these things. But Jesus describes us in a way that is, frankly, one of the most popular ways that we're described in the Bible and... The Bible says that people, even us modern, sophisticated, bright people, are simply sheep. Sheep. Meaning we need leadership, have to have leadership in our lives, and we will look for leadership in our lives. At the end of the day, we're going to follow somebody. At the end of the day, we're going to follow somebody's teaching. We are sheep, and we need a shepherd. Now, by the word sheep, the Bible is not suggesting that we're like the cute little woolly creatures on the greeting cards, uh, nor like the cute little sheep on the Serta, I think it is, mattress for, you know, 18-wheeler that passes you on the highway. And, you know, our girls would always say, look, the sheep, he's so cute. No, um, actually, to be told that we're a sheep is kind of an extreme statement. For God to make. And and here's the reason why. Of all the animals that God ever made, of all of them, the ones that need the most guidance and care are sheep. See, God didn't call us lions because we're not, you know, that way in our nature. God didn't, we're not independent. God didn't call us cats, you know, who, who could kind of get along without other people. No, God called us sheep because of all his creation. Sheep are the ones that have to have guidance and definitely need help. And I want to just list a little bit. I studied a lot about sheep and shepherds this week, and I'd like to list a few things about sheep, and then later I'll list a few things about shepherd to help us understand Jesus' words, I am the good shepherd. Uh, first is is that sheep are, and these are antiquated words, they're not quite the way we use them, sheep are stupid and stubborn. Sheep, on the whole, are, very, are pretty stupid and stubborn. Not, not that they're stupid like they don't have any sense. Um, it, you know, we, 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 we can do, uh, you know, nuclear physics, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ability to live in this world and have a sense uh, of that kind of knowledge. And that is where we lack. Have you ever noticed that some of the smartest people in the world are some of the dumbest people in the world? 
can barely tie their shoelaces. So we're not talking about people's IQ here. Uh, one of the scholars said, ask yourself, I thought this was great, ask yourself, have you ever seen a group of cha- trained sheep in a circus? And the answer is no, because sheep aren't smart enough to be trained to do any kind of tricks that you would want to see them do in a circus. That would be other animals that are actually smart enough to do that. I started thinking, what would sheep do in a circus? I can see a sheep on the swinging trapeze, you know, or a, a tamer with a chair and a whip with a ferocious sheep, you know. No, there's a reason why sheep aren't trained for the circus. It's because they are, are stupid. They need lots of help. Just like you do and I do. Secondly, sheep lose their way very easily. They tend to wander off from perfectly good grass, from perfectly clear water, from a shepherd who loves them. They wander off into danger. You know, see, number one, sheep are stupid, but... um, the, 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 the fact that we know about sheep is that sheep cannot see more than 15 feet in front of them. Very much like us. It's not like sheep are sitting there in their pasture and they kind of look out and they, they have this big picture of the landscape and they say, oh, I want to go try that pasture like three pastures down. That's not what sheep think. Sheep do this. They look and they see 15 feet and they say, that's interesting. And they go 15 more feet and they say, that's interesting. And just one thing leads them to another. And one thing after another leads them deeper and deeper into danger. Just like in our lives, we we get to a place where we are in the midst of this tangled web of deception and sin and relationships. And we say, how did we get there? 15 feet at a time. Wandering away. Thirdly, when sheep wander off, they're very vulnerable, like we are. They don't have any natural defenses. You know, uh, I, I was reading about sheep, and it's pointed out they don't have claws, they don't have fangs, you know, they don't have um, horns to gore somebody with. And and the other thing about them is, whatever the predator trying to, like a wolf trying to kill the sheep. The sheep are always too slow to get away. That's a really bad place to be. They wander off. It's dangerous. And they're vulnerable like us. Sheep are easily frightened and confused. And it just doesn't take a lot to confuse a sheep or frighten a sheep. Just like you. I mean, isn't it true? Probably even this week. All it takes is for one person to say one thing sideways to you and you'll think about it for five days. It's true. I mean, you know, we're so smart, we're so this, we got this going on and that going on. How easy is it to frighten you, to confuse you? Well, it's really easy because we're sheep. And... (laughs) The one scholar says it doesn't take much to frighten them and they have even been known to plunge straight over a high precipice when frightened in a panic. Others following them. I mean, this is kind of a bad situation, you know. 
It's not like there's, well, well, I'm afraid, but that, that looks far down. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, what is it do you do when somebody really, you know, does something to you? Do you say, hmm, that is interesting. Let me think about that in terms of God's wisdom. Or do you use, ah. God is not trying to insult us by calling us sheep. What God's trying to do is this. He's trying to highlight the fact that we need a shepherd all right, sheep need a shepherd. This is great. He's trying to say, I want to be that shepherd. In other words, God's not just trying to make us feel bad about how easily we are, you know, deceived and confused and frightened and wander off and, and all these things. God is, is trying to say here, this is the way you are. Let me be your shepherd. Let me love you. Let me take responsibility for you. When Jesus, in Mark 9, 36, looked out at the multitudes, he described what was wrong with them, and it wasn't that they were, you know, lacked money, and it wasn't that they had relational problems and, you know, were having a hard time raising children or something like that. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion, deep compassion, the word means. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, you see. Oh, I feel so sorry for them because they're sheep and they don't have a shepherd. Do you know something? That's exactly the human condition. Sheep without a shepherd. And I've, I've crafted a sentence. I want you to write this sentence down when you're over the, your lunch today or dinner tonight with your family. I want you to talk about the implications of the two different dimensions of this sentence. And here's the sentence, and I'll explain the word in in a minute, hireling. In a world filled with hirelings, only Jesus will always be our good shepherd. Let me say that again. In a world filled with hired men, hirelings, only Jesus will always be our good shepherd. I want to talk about this, this, the way the world is and the way Jesus describes the world in terms of him wanting to be our shepherd. Jesus basically says what you're going to run into the world are, are hirelings or hired people. We live in a world where there are very few true shepherds. There are very few people that actually care about other people in a way they would sacrifice for other people. Now, some of the old scholars, when they talk about this, they start talking about, you know, the church and how there are pastors that care about themselves but don't care about the sheep, don't care about the kingdom of God. And after all, that's not a bad way to describe this. After all, Jesus in in John chapter 10 in this passage is not talking to his disciples. If you'll read back, what you will find is he's actually addressing the Pharisees. And he's contrasting himself as the good shepherd with them as the hired people that don't care. And he's trying to say to people, look, this is the way the world is. Most people in the world who say they love you are like these people. But I want to be your shepherd. It's a world of hirelings that we live in. Uh, We would call it, and the NIV calls it, hired hands. You know, kind of like if you got a ranch. And you need, you got some cattle, right? And you need people to look after your cattle, so you hire a, a hired hand. And he gets drunk about day three and then doesn't wake up the next morning, so you fire him. Then you hire another one, he comes, and, and two days later he's drunk. And he's not getting up and going to work, so you fire him. But you know, it doesn't matter. 
It's not like it's the, they're the cattle's best friends and the cattle are just going to be really heartbroken that, that the cowboy got fired. No, they're just hired hands. They're just there doing a the job. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, hired hands or hirelings care more about themselves than the sheep. And here's how you know. Because when the pressure comes, they do not get between the sheep and the danger or the pressure. They run away and expose the sheep to the pressure or the danger. Go back to John 10. The very next verse is verse 12. Jesus went on to describe this. In verse 12, he says, The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, the hired hands, he abandons the sheep. He runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock. You see a wolf just killing sheep after sheep, scatters the sheep, and they run away. And then then the wolf runs away. Then the wolf, verse 12, attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, however, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, it should actually not come as a surprise in your life when somebody you counted on disappoints you. I know it comes as a surprise. And it's always difficult But please, if you understand classic Christianity, I mean, you can be disappointed, don't get me wrong, but you shouldn't be shocked that in a fallen world, somebody at the end of the day would protect their hide rather than sacrifice for you. It shouldn't be a shock that even people you thought you could count on will cut and run or say something that's not true to protect themselves rather than you, or simply withdraw and not offer support when you thought they would be there for you. And look, you know why that happens? Because people are fallible. It happens because every single one of us struggle with selfishness. And every single one of us in our relationships are going to have to choose whether we're going to be sacrificial in a given moment of pressure or whether we're going to cut and run. Right? I mean, that is the truth. And I'm going to tell you something. It is just not going to work out real well if your ultimate shepherd in life is a person who lives in this world right now. Because it doesn't matter who it is. In some way, At some time, they're going to let you down. And it is particularly painful when the person who doesn't come through for you is someone that's supposed to be close to you. Is it not? It's very painful. Many of you know, and from time to time, I reiterate this fact about my life because it's the defining moment in my life other than understanding the gospel of Jesus. It's when I was 14 and a half. My father died. And in one moment, I went from a carefree and happy childhood to a very, very difficult and ugly adulthood that I was, frankly, ill-prepared to have to transition into in one moment. And I, uh, from age 14 and a half to age 19 and a half, I basically described that as one five-year 
continual scream of pain and rebellion against God. But at age 19 and a half, I not only had I not only heard the gospel, the good news that God loved us so much he sent his son. I never I never knew that. Never knew why Jesus died on the cross. I never knew how you could have a real relationship with God and he would always love you. But I did. I put my trust in what Christ had done on the cross. God came into my life and it was no small moment in my life when I realized that God I wasn't just God and that God didn't just accept me. He was my father. And guys, he would never check out. He would never leave me. I never had to worry about being left again. He was a shepherd who would always provide for me in every situation. And I'm going to tell you something. He hadn't always provided exactly the way I wanted him to. And he's always provided. He has never let me down. He has always been there for me. And you know, what you might believe should be a shepherd in your life is really only a hireling. And I'd like to challenge you with, with, with the relationships of care, of love that you have with other people that count on you. I, I will tell you that, that on your best day, you are not a pure shepherd. On your best day, you're still self, selfish. On your best day, you're still going to have to choose to sacrificially love those people or to love yourself more. And on your best day, sometimes you're going to choose you rather than them. In a world of hirelings, only Jesus will always be our good shepherd. So we kind of looked about how the world is. and Let's talk about Jesus being our good shepherd now. That second part, only Jesus will be our good shepherd. Now I need to tell you a little bit about shepherds in the Middle East at that time. You know, we, we have to talk about that because we don't know sheep herding or ranching. I mean, some of y'all, any of y'all, raise your hand if you have anything to do with raising sheep. Not one hand went up. Isn't that amazing? Well, let me tell you something about raising sheep in the land of the Bible at that time versus agro-business today. Agro-business, once you think about a big field somewhere maybe in Wyoming, there's not a tree. There's you know, moonscape. There's like 500,000 acres of nothing but grass. That is not the way it was at this time. In fact, it's a very dangerous and difficult thing to be a shepherd in Israel at that time. We just think, you know, shepherds sitting around while the sheep are sitting around. That's not the case. And here's the reason why. Is that in Israel at that time, in Israel right now, if you've ever been there, all you got to do is go over to you and see it. There ain't a whole lot of grass. I mean, there's enough grass. And there's lots of sheep. <laughs> And so what that means is, because there's not 500,000 acres with grass, that means you've got to keep moving to find more grass. And you've got to keep moving to find more water. And what makes this even harder is the terrain of Israel. Whether it is kind of a wilderness terrain, there's lots of crags, you know, and, and there's lots of uh, dips. Basically... There's lots of places that wolves could jump out of and eat your sheep. And not just wolves. Robbers who like to steal sheep and kill shepherds. Way out in the desert at night are waiting behind one of those crags to take the sheep 
and kill the shepherd. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot on the line here. One scholar says at night, even today, out where the Bedouins are, that's, those are the shepherds today, the Bedouins, the moving shepherds, at night you can hear wolves howl in every direction. You know, that's not a great thing if you're a shepherd. You're sitting there at night and whoo, you know, that is like dinner. That's like the dinner, you know, that's which, which one of my sheep are going to be eaten by that character. And there's one over there and there's one over there. Bottom line is, is that sheep in Israel, even today, are never to be without a shepherd to protect them, to get them some grass, to get them some water. And what Christ is doing here is Christ is, is, a, is, is highlighting our need for a shepherd, our need for real leadership, that sacrificial kind of love, the kind that really protects. And he's saying, I want to be that person. And that is not novel in the Bible. Because all through the Old Testament, God himself basically says, I'm a shepherd. You want to know what I'm like? I'm a shepherd. Verse, you know, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then I love Isaiah 40, 11. This is God. God, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs into his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those who have young. This is the God of heaven and earth. He tends his flock. He watches over them like a shepherd. He loves them. He picks up the little lambs. He carries them close. They can hear his heartbeat. There is such tenderness the way he carries them. He gently leads the the one that has the the little lambs to, to give extra protection to them. Psalm 95, 7, very famous passage. He is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep. Of his hand. Ezekiel 34 15, thus says the Lord God, I myself will shepherd my sheep, and I will make them lie down, and I will seek the ones who are lost, and I will bring back the ones who stray, and I will bind up the cripple and strengthen the weak sheep, and the fat and strong I will watch over. Jesus is fulfilling the role of God Himself by saying, I am the good shepherd. Everything you've learned about God in the Old Testament and His great love for His people, rather than the hirelings, whoever it is you're looking to now, they will disappoint you. I am the Lord is my shepherd. I am that Lord and I will come through for you. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I lay down my life for my sheep. And there's two things about the shepherd here, the good shepherd, that distinguishes him from anybody else that would pretend to take his place. One is the level of knowledge that he has of us. And the other is simply that he laid down his life for us. We know that Jesus will take care of us better and lead us better than any other shepherd can Because he simply knows us better than anybody else in this world. He knows you and he still loves you. And he knows exactly what you need and he knows exactly what nurture that really is meaningful is to you. 
He knows how to give good gifts. He knows how to withhold things from you and from me that at the end of the day will be idols and hurt us. He knows. Now, you need to understand, in that time, sheep were not primarily, primarily raised to be eaten. There were those sheep that were raised to be sacrificed in the temple, right? The lambs, the perfect little lambs that were sacrificed in the temple. And there were some sheep that were eaten, but sheep were much more va- less valuable by the pound than something else they could give you. Can anybody name what else the, a sheep can give you that's more valuable than meat? Wool! Thank you! Now what that means is that a shepherd at that time would be with the same group of sheep for years. In fact, he would try to keep these sheep alive for several reasons. He'd get real attached to the sheep, but he wants them to live because when it's time to shear those sheep again, he's going to get the value of that wool. I I just read to you a little excerpt from a a, a history of the Holy Land. A hundred sheep was about as large a flock as one shepherd could manage. Quote, and the intimacy that grew between the shepherd and the sheep was intense. He named them all, you know, like fluffy, woolly, whatever. He named them all. He even developed a language in which he communicated with all the sheep and with each of the sheep just because he knew them that well. In fact, there's all these stories uh, the Bedouins, you know, sit. At, they don't have TVs and satellite. They're in tents to this day. They sit around at night around the fire and they tell stories. And people that hang out with the Bedouins hear a lot of shepherd stories. And one of the ones uh, that the Bedouins told was how some Turkish soldiers came, were uh, at, right after World War One were in the area and um, they were hungry and they wanted to take this entire flock of sheep. And the shepherd saw the machine guns and he just kind of hid behind a rock thinking, okay, what am I going to do now? They can't take my sheep. And so the Bedouins are turning to lead the sheep back to and trying to drive them back. And he lets them get a little ways. And he remembers, of course, that there's a particular sound to call all the sheep and there's particular sounds to call each sheep. So he starts calling his sheep. Next thing you know, the, the sheep are running away from the Bedouins. And he, the shepherd, is running as far, as fast as he can in the other direction, continuing to make that noise. And they get away from people with machine guns because of the intimacy of the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. And Jesus knows us better than anybody. In fact, Jesus told a parable that illustrates the love of a shepherd for a sheep. He told this parable in Matthew 18, 12, He basically said this, if if a shepherd has a hundred sheep, there's your hundred sheep, right? And if one sheep, well, let me just read it to you, Matthew 18, 12. What do you think, he says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one who's wandered off? Now, keep in mind, these are people in that culture who understand shepherds and sheep. So the answer is, of course he will. He loves that little sheep. He says, and if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than the 99 who did not wander off. I found a little uh, writing that I thought was very good about sheep. It's actually something that was posted three months ago by Max Lucado called A New Kind of Hero. And I'd like to read just a little portion of that. He contrasts 
the hero of the West, which is the cowboy, right? We're, that's our culture, kind of the cowboy. With the hero of the Bible, who's a shepherd. I want to read just a little bit of this to you. It's not that the cowboy, he says, doesn't appreciate the cow. It's just that he doesn't know the animal. He doesn't even want to know the animal. Have you ever seen a picture of a cowboy caressing a cow? Have you ever seen a picture of a shepherd with his arms around a sheep? Yes. And he goes on to talk about the fact that they're not going to eat the sheep and the wool and how long they spend together, very similar to what I've told you. He says the cowboys drive the cattle. The shepherd leads the sheep. Big difference. Would you rather be driven or led? The herd of cattle has a dozen cowboys. The flock only has one shepherd. The cowboy wrestles the cow to the ground, brands him, and then herds him, ropes him, pushes him. The shepherd leads, guides, feeds, and anoints the lamb in its wounds with oil. When he is wounded, the cowboy knows all the names of the trail hands with him. The shepherd knows the names of the sheep. The cowboy whoops and hollers at the cows. The shepherd calls each sheep by name. And then he asks this question, which is so great to me. Aren't you glad Christ did not call himself the good cowboy? You see what he's saying is, look, we're sheep. We're going to follow somebody. It's going to be perilous. We're going to wander off 15 feet at a time. We are just, we are primed to to be vulnerable and to hurt ourselves. I want to be your shepherd. I want to know you. I want to know you and love you better than anyone knows you and loves you. And then the second thing is not that just that the good shepherd knows, and that's why he's the good shepherd. He knows us better, but also that he lays his life down for his sheep. Now, I don't want you to think about the cross here for a minute. We'll get there. Because Jesus said this before the cross. When Jesus said this, they wouldn't, oh, he's talking about the cross. They had no clue what he was talking about except for what a shepherd would do. In other words, when Jesus said the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, the hireling runs, they got it. They're like, yeah, that's what a shepherd does. There was a young man who was a shepherd who the prophet Samuel had been sent down to his house with a horn full of oil to that day anoint one of the heads of the sons of Jesse to be the king of Israel. And he went through all his brothers and they were (laughs) non-selected. Samuel said, I know, you know, kind of like, I know God sent me here. I know that one of your kids, one of your sons is going to be the king of Israel, and none of these are. Do you not, do you have any more children? Oh, yeah, yeah, the youngest one. Way back on the lower 40, up in the crags with the sheep. Samuel says, you go get him now. We will not sit down. We will not eat. We will not do anything until he returns. And Sure enough, when he brought David, this young man, back, he was the king of Israel. And he anointed the head of David. And then David promptly went into 15 years of running for his life from Saul. But he reflected back on some of the things that helped him get through that hard time. And do you know what he reflected back on? He said, you know, when I was a shepherd, one day a bear came out to eat one of my sheep. 
And I got between my sheep and the bear, and I killed that bear. He said, you know, one, one day when I was a shepherd, a lion jumped out to eat one of my sheep or several of my sheep. And you know what I did? I, I put myself between my sheep and a lion, and I killed that lion. I took on a lion mano a mano. I'm talking about, you know, you're supposed to die. And I killed that lion. So Saul ain't that bad. Because a true shepherd doesn't run away from lions. He doesn't run away from bears. And he puts himself between his sheep and the danger or the pressure. And they got that. There's a, there's a book written in 1911. It's actually three volumes. Don't recommend it. Hard to read. Famous book. W.M. Thompson called The Land and the Book. I'm talking about the land of, of Israel. The Land and the Book. But he wrote this, and I was just fascinated by it. He was, in 1911, traveling around with the Bedouins, kind of hanging out with the Bedouins, hearing these stories around the campfire, trying to get a feel for what it would have been like in the Bible. This guy's great, 1911, with the Bedouins. He says, I have listened with intense interest to the graphic depictions of downright desperate fights between shepherds and savage beasts. And when the thief and the robber come, and come they do, the faithful shepherd has often put his life into his own hands to defend his flock. A poor fellow last spring, 1911, instead of running away, actually fought three Bedouin robbers until he was hacked to pieces by their long knives and died among the sheep he was defending. Man, that gets me right here. But not as much as the good shepherd gets me right here. Who laid down his life for me. You see, I was incredibly threatened. Sin had ruined us eternally. Satan would have his way. I would go shepherdless in this life, or at least trying so hard every day to find somebody who might could be that good shepherd and never find him. And facing eternal punishment for my sins, and the good shepherd literally stepped into this world and was lifted up on a cross and literally went into the fray and took the beating for me. And for my sins. Now I will not go into great detail at this moment. What I'd like to do is just quote the two familiar verses of two hymns that mean so much to us here at Highlands. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? O sacred head, now wounded with grief and tears weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what joy till now was thine. 
Yet though despised and gory, I joy to call you mine. Because you loved me. Because you, when the time came, you didn't run. You were lifted up. You are the one and only good shepherd. I had an experience not too long ago, and I'll close with this, of realizing that someone who should have come through for me did not and will not. Now, don't say, is it I? (laughs) This person doesn't live anywhere near here, in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) And just like you, I know I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised. Just like you, I was hurt and disappointed. Just like you, I was a little fearful, worried. So I just prayed about it. And what do you do when you can't do anything? That's what you do, by the way. You pray about it. So I just prayed about it. And I was praying about this, and the one thing that came to my mind while I was praying is is the fact that God, my Father, Jesus, my Good Shepherd, will never do that to me. He will never not be there for me. He will never not provide for me. He will never surprise me with a truth that is far more surprising and devastating than I could have ever imagined. Let me tell you something. That moment for me in my mind with God was so real, I could touch it. You know why? Because it is real. It is real. In a world filled with hirelings, Jesus alone will always be our good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the good shepherd. And we need one so badly. We are sheep, God, and you have not only called us sheep, you've stepped forward to be that shepherd by being lifted up on a cross. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has come to do for sinners and you'd like to, you just pray with me, Lord, I see it. I I know I'm selfish. I can't change the, the selfish dimension of my heart any more than a leopard can change his spots. But thank you that you've come and done everything for me that I cannot do for myself. And I want to turn from everything I've called religion and put my trust, Jesus, in what you have come to do and have accomplished. Thank you that even now you've forgiven me. Even now you've applied the the work of the cross to my life. Lord, would you help me to never get far from 
the idea and the reality that you are my shepherd. And Lord, yet there are many of us who have walked with you for a number of years. And Lord, why are we looking for shepherds in an ultimate kind of way? We thank you for the relationships that are loving and and are committed. We acknowledge the weakness in the most committed people in our lives and the the weakness that we have in our most committed relationships with others. But Lord, there are some mighty broken and hurting people in this sanctuary because they've forgotten the, the meaning of the word fallen. Lord, 15 feet at a time, they have just become wretched in their own hearts. Lord, would you be that shepherd even now that leaves the 99 Would you be pleased, Lord, to catch up with somebody here in this sanctuary right now and bind up their wounds and anoint them with oil and bring them back to a place of security and peace that nobody else in this life can give us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.